Hi and welcome to Malicious Life, in collaboration with Cyberism. I'm Ran Levy. If I were to ask you what makes an organization good at cybersecurity, what would you say? The most obvious answer is people. If you get talented security people in a room together, you have a pretty good shot at success. There's also that stuff you put around those people. Money, for example, and the fancy tools and gadgets we all like to play with. That stuff isn't worth much on its own, but in the right hands, it can be a great boost to any cybersec operation. But there's another factor, too. Management. IT security reports to executives who have the power to grant or deny funding. Team leaders who don't set their foot soldiers in the right direction and inspire good work in them tend to leave security vulnerabilities in their wake. You could argue that these business people, even if they never touch a keyboard, are nearly as important to an enterprise security operation as the actual cybersecurity professionals. It's why on November 8, 2017, when the Senate Commerce Committee organized a hearing on corporate data breaches, they brought in a panel of CEOs like Richard Smith. Even before being called to testify, Richard was having a bad 2017. His company, Equifax, had experienced arguably the most severe breach of personal data in history. When the public found out, he was fired. Then he was ping-ponged through Washington, D.C., sitting before tribunals of senators and congresspeople who used him as a punching bag. No more was this the case than when Elizabeth Warren, on the Senate Banking Committee, systematically broke down how Equifax was actually profiting off its hack by selling fraud protection to the very customers whose data it exposed in the first place. Suffice to say, this wasn't a good time to be Richard Smith. When his turn came to speak to the panel of senators, he politely emphasized the point. Quote, I have submitted my written testimony to this committee, as well as to a number of other committees in both the Senate and the House. I've testified before over the past three or four weeks. End quote. There's no point in parading Richard Smith around Washington unless you believe implicitly that executives are as responsible for security failures at their companies as they are for successes in other areas. When new product lines succeed, we praise CEOs, and when systems are breached, we blame them. And that's the theme of the story you're going to hear today. Cybersecurity from the top down. How business decisions determine security preparedness. On that November 8th, the Senate Commerce Committee lined up a panel of executives to determine how their business decisions lead to large-scale corporate breaches. Like Richard Smith, each person on the panel was the face of one of the worst data breaches known to America. But this episode isn't about Richard Smith. 
This episode is about the person sitting to his left. Yahoo! The name is synonymous with a time when all of our lives were simpler. When a Facebook was an actual book full of students' faces, computers made weird sounds when they connected to the internet, and downloading a one-minute-long video could take all night. At its height, Yahoo! was one of the four or five most popular websites in the world, with billions of views every month and a valuation well over $100 billion. But as the 2000s turned into the 2010s, the web changed massively, and Yahoo! was faced with the difficult task of changing with it. Their web portal service model was going out of fashion. We all moved to Gmail, and Google Search became the front page of the internet, despite the fact that Ask Jeeves was obviously way better. Many of Yahoo's services remained relatively popular, but they were no longer trend-setting, no longer growing, and the company's market capitalization dropped to a fraction of what it once was. Any remnant of the mindshare, or what we might refer to as the cultural capital they once held, fell off. So, to those of us on the outside, Yahoo's fall seemed utterly quiet, gradual, and most of all, inevitable. But was it really? Forget what you think you know, at least for a moment, and consider this. From the peak of the dot-com bubble, some say the beginning of the end for Yahoo, to 2008, their revenue increased tenfold. That success was no fluke either. As print publishers struggled with the incoming revolution of online advertising, Yahoo was very much on top of it. They were positioned well enough that when Microsoft attempted to buy the company for $45 billion in 2008, co-founder and CEO Jerry Young swiftly rejected the offer. It was over the following few years that things would start to turn bad. The company transitioned through five different CEOs in just four years, and in the meantime, Google took over the internet. This would seem like the end of the story, except in 2012, Yahoo made arguably the most significant hire in its history. A new CEO who could finally get things going again. Marisa Meyer was destined for such a role from the beginning. Some college students have a hard time in the job market, but after completing her degree at Stanford, Marissa was offered 14 different jobs, including a teaching gig at Carnegie Mellon, one of America's leading engineering schools, and a consulting role at McKinsey, arguably the world's premier consulting firm. The young Marisa turned down both those offers to become the 20th employee at a fledgling startup called Google. At Google, she was a star. 
In fact, there's a 100% chance you've run into her work. She oversaw the design of Google's homepage. You know, the one you use probably 10 times a day? She was also one of the three people behind Google AdWords. It's difficult to overstate the importance of AdWords to the internet as a whole and to the company itself. To give you some sense of it, though, at one point, AdWords provided 96% of Google's entire revenue. In fact, you could argue that AdWords, and by proxy Marissa Meyer, was at least partly responsible for the fall of Yahoo. Yahoo's revenue multiplied tenfold between 2000 and 2008 in no small part because of their online advertising. But it declined even faster when Google, their smaller competitor, designed a better way to connect advertisers with users based on search results. AdWords. So, by the principle that if you can't beat them, you should join them, Yahoo in 2012 hired Marisa Meyer. It was a bold and popular choice. The company's stock rose 2% the day of the announcement. Meyer instantly became an icon for women in an industry dominated by men. Then she got to work changing the company culture. She opened an online portal for employee complaints, a system whereby any office problem given sufficient votes by employees would be automatically investigated by management. She oversaw a personnel shift, which brought remote employees back into the company's offices. Fortune magazine put her in their 40 under 40 list and ranked her as the 16th most powerful businesswoman on the planet. In short, things were finally looking up for Yahoo, at least from the outside. On the inside, however, the really, really inside, a very different story was about to be written. How many data breaches have we covered so far in Malicious Life? To be honest, I have no idea. There are so many cases of sensitive personal information being exfiltrated from businesses that I could probably continue making such episodes until I retire. But you don't need to worry about my job security. You need to worry about your financial security. And that's where our latest sponsor, Privacy.com, steps in. Privacy.com allows you to create virtual cards tied to your real bank account that you can use for online shopping for free. For example, you can generate a one-time virtual card for a specific purchase or a merchant card that only works with a specific online store. A business you shopped at was hacked? It doesn't matter. Your real financial information, even your real identity, are safe. If the crooks try to use the virtual card at some other website, the transaction simply won't go through. With online security being what it is, you know using virtual cards is a smart move. So head on to privacy.com slash malicious life. That's P-R-I-V-A-C-Y dot com slash malicious life and sign up for an account. Not only is the basic tier of the service free, 
for a limited time only, you will also get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Yeah, free money. Stop using the same card number everywhere. Privacy.com is easy to set up, fast to use, and it's free. Go to privacy.com slash maliciouslife and sign up now. We thank privacy.com for their support of Malicious Life. On November 8, 2017, before the Senate Commerce Committee, Marissa Meyer sat just to the left of the now-former CEO of Equifax, Richard Smith. The two are hardly alike in appearance. Smith, bald, thin, dark, almost black eyes, exudes the coldness you'd want if you were casting someone to play the heartless CEO of an evil megacorporation. Meyer, on the other hand, is blonde, blue-eyed, petite, with a softness to the way she speaks and holds herself. In other ways, the comparison between them might be apt. Richard Smith oversaw one of the most successful periods in his company's history by turning Equifax into a prolific data aggregator. But the lust for newer, bigger data streams overshadowed the need to protect it all. Marissa Meyer, during some of those same years, was diversifying Yahoo and changing the culture from the inside. But that same provocateur attitude which landed her on Forbes' lists also masked a chaotic business environment rife with bad decisions and resentments. In a mad dash to modernize Yahoo for a younger audience, for example, Yahoo acquired Tumblr for over a billion dollars in 2013. Then we all stopped using Tumblr. They also adopted over 50 other companies in just a few years' time, including such illustrious bands as Snip.it, Ron D, Tom Foolery, and Bread. Remember Bread? All the cool kids were on Bread. Meyer's attempts to revitalize office culture were equally fraught. She instituted a ban on remote employees. Now, on the face of it, this doesn't seem like such a bad idea. Even today, there's still an ongoing debate about how working from home affects productivity, for example. But this wasn't a suggestion to cut down on remote workers. It was a ban on existing employees. Some of those employees had reason to be home. Take, for example, Marisa Meyer, who herself worked from home while pregnant and built an entire nursery room besides her office. Not all Yahoo employees had such luxuries. In addition to the remote work ban, Meyer deployed a performance review system whereby managers were recommended to rank their employees from most to least valuable and fire those at the bottom end of the curve. Not only was this system dubiously legal, not all managers had employees they wanted to fire. But nothing better encapsulated the discord at Yahoo during its final years than when the FBI came knocking. 
after the San Bernardino terrorist attack in 2015, the FBI ordered Apple to break into the iPhone used in the attack. Apple refused. In a long public battle with the most powerful authorities in the US government, Apple steadfastly rejected the notion that they should have to break their own device security in order to service law enforcement, even in such an extreme case. The same year, the FBI visited Yahoo. They requested that the company search its email database for a particular set of characters. We don't know exactly what. In order to meet the request, Yahoo would have to build a new custom software tool to read all of its users' emails. In response, Yahoo said, sure thing. But actually, it wasn't Yahoo that agreed so much as Marisa Meyer and her legal counsel. The only other people in the loop were the email engineers who built the tool and deployed it across all Yahoo email accounts. You'd expect a top-secret FBI order to be under tight wraps, but what happens when a CEO makes major decisions, like spying on billions of users, without consulting important members of the company? Well, just weeks later, Yahoo's security team picked up strange code in their system, scraping user data. A hack. They manned the battle stations. Then Alex Stamos, CISO of the company, found out what was really going on. According to Reuters, which broke the story, quote, When Stamos found out that Meyer had authorized the program, he resigned as chief information security officer and told his subordinates that he had been left out of a decision that hurt users' security, the sources said. Due to a programming flaw, he told them, hackers could have accessed the stored emails. End quote. Stamos and his security team were the kinds of people who could have warned Marisa Meyer about the security implications of a custom FBI intrusion tool. When a CEO and CISO are disconnected, it's bad news for security. When a company's own security team mistakes internal company software for foreign malware, it's bad news for security. So why should it have surprised anyone when one day hundreds of millions of Yahoo accounts appeared on the dark web? I can say for me personally, selling publicly $15,000 for LinkedIn. How much for the MySpace and Tumblr data? For both, almost $20,000. In June 2016, a reporter for Wired magazine used encrypted anonymous instant messaging to interview Peace of Mind, a dealer of stolen data on the dark web. How have you got your hands on all these collections of breached user credentials? Well, all these have been hacked through a team, if you want to call it that, of Russians. Some have been my work, others by another person. Are you Russian yourself? Yes. To call peace of mind, or peace for short, prolific, 
would be an understatement. On their marketplace, The Real Deal set a catalog of over 800 million stolen user accounts across social media platforms. And behind the scenes, they had plenty more to come. Do you have more collections that you haven't put up for sale yet? Yes, about another billion users or so. Again, in the same time frame, 2012 to 2013. From which services? Social media and email services, mainly. While a tech reporter was off texting with a darknet middleman, Yahoo had bigger things on its plate. They were about to sell their company to Verizon for a deal reported to be somewhere shy of $5 billion. $5 billion wasn't a lot for a company once worth $125 billion, a company which not 10 years prior shot down an offer for $45 billion. $5 billion was an acknowledgement that Yahoo was basically done for as a major market player and that Marissa Meyer was unable to achieve the lofty expectations assigned to her. But $5 billion was something. And if you were on the inside at Yahoo, if you got to see what was really going on behind closed doors, you might have taken even less. One month after a piece interviewed with Wired magazine, 200 million fresh out-of-the-box Yahoo user accounts were posted to the real deal. Vice Motherboard, which first picked up on the story, reached out to Yahoo for comment. Yahoo representatives neither confirmed nor denied the report. We are aware of a claim, they said. Well, fuck them. They don't want to confirm. Better for me. They don't do password reset. Peace had a point. The longer Yahoo took to acknowledge the hack, the longer it'd be before users were notified. If users weren't notified, they wouldn't know to change their passwords. If they didn't change their passwords, Peace's customers would make more money off of them. This is why responsible corporations disclose data breaches immediately upon discovery, even knowing the legal and reputational consequences they'll have to face. But Yahoo did no such thing. They had a $5 billion deal on the line. As they say in America, this wasn't Yahoo's first rodeo. By the time they began a quiet investigation into how 200 million accounts ended up on the dark web, they were already well accustomed to being hacked. In fact, Marisa Meyer was basically initiated into her job by a major breach. Just four days before she was officially named CEO, Business Insider received a tip that her new home company had been hacked. A pretty eventful first week on the job, you'd have to say. The issue concerned Associated Content, a company bought by Yahoo in 2010 as part of its long and historic lineage of misguided acquisitions. Associated Content, a site where freelancers get paid for writing articles, was rebranded under the name Yahoo Voices in 2011. But while the marketing division was hard at work trying to sell Yahoo Voices to the masses, the security division had less of a role. 
According to MIT Technology Review, Associated Content's IT systems were weakly secured, and nobody at Yahoo bothered to fix them. So by 2012, a hacker group called Deeds Company was able to sneak right in. They downloaded and dumped Yahoo database information, as well as 450,000 user emails and passwords onto the internet. For the incoming chief executive, this was a warning shot. Yahoo was a target, and cybersecurity would play a role in the future of the company. But in case the message wasn't clear, just half a year later, another incident occurred. This time, it was Yahoo Mail, and the story wasn't quite as clear. People just started to get hacked, one by one. After a while, on Twitter, searches for Yahoo and hack started populating. That's when a gray hat hacker named Sahin Ramzani posted a very informative YouTube video detailing a step-by-step method for how to crack a Yahoo account from any major browser using a cross-site scripting vulnerability in the dome. Any hacker could do it in just a few minutes or automate the task. A pretty neat video until YouTube took it down. The evening Shaheen posted his video, Yahoo deployed a fix for the cross-site scripting zero day. The next day, however, researchers working with Shaheen discovered a workaround for the fix. Using only a few modifications to the code and simple phishing email, they were able to exploit the same vulnerability. It would have seemed like the end of the ordeal when, a few days later, Yahoo newly confirmed a fix across all its sites. But later that January, the website The Next Web, which had been breaking the story throughout the month, started getting emails from Yahoo users which suggested something else was going on. These users were receiving emails with a bit.ly link which seemed to direct to an MSNBC news article. Those who clicked the link were brought to a fake MSNBC page, which had actually been registered in Ukraine and was hosted from a data center in Cyprus. In other words, not the kinds of places you'd expect MSNBC to be operating. Analysts from Bitdefender described the attack path, writing, quote, Once the user lands on the alleged MSNBC page, a piece of JavaScript code inside tries to exploit a known vulnerability in the SWF uploader component on the Yahoo developer's blog. Once the hackers have the logging cookie, they can authenticate into the victim's account and send spam or harvest contacts email addresses for other spam campaigns. End quote. Other account holders didn't even get the phishing emails, yet were still compromised. One person, speaking anonymously, claimed that their dummy account, an account they didn't ever actually use, had been breached and their address used to distribute phishing emails to all their contacts. Whoever was behind this campaign wasn't some lone gray hat hacker. An individual whose company got snagged in the campaign told the next web, quote, 
We were hacked at the end of January. They spammed everyone in the contact folder and deleted all the contacts. We just had another Yahoo account hacked yesterday. Not only did it spam the entire contact folder, but we were unable to send out emails or access our secret question to change the password. There was a toll-free number to call, and when we did, we spoke with people who spoke very poor English, and they asked for a one-time fee of $100 for assistance with the issue. When we refused, they hung up on us. We called the number twice. The first time we spoke with a woman, and the second time we called, we spoke with a man. Both times we called, when we refused the payment of $100, we were hung up on." End quote. Exactly who was exploiting Yahoo Mail in January 2013 is to this day unknown. What's important are two things. First, Yahoo claimed to have released fixes on multiple occasions during that month, yet none apparently worked, as users were still reporting being compromised even months afterwards. It's unclear whether Yahoo's fixes didn't work or didn't exist. Second, and more importantly, there were other hackers in Yahoo's systems at the same time doing things that neither Yahoo nor anybody else knew about. When people say Yahoo's demise was gradual, quiet, inevitable, they're wrong. In reality, it was loud, with high ups and downs, which at times indicated that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. But rather than reach that light, a company trying too hard to be hip, to move fast and break things and revitalize itself, only compounded the problems that were already there. The new CEO was introduced via a hack of 450 user accounts. As she and her team made sweeping changes to personnel, workplace rules, and new acquisitions, they failed to make a commensurate impact in security. As a result, in under a year's time, Yahoo was hacked on multiple occasions by multiple entities. And it hardly ended there. One year after the phishing campaign on Yahoo Mail, Yahoo Mail was hacked again, this time via a third-party server. In fact, we haven't even gotten to the actual story yet. Everything you've just heard, it's all build-up, scene-setting to give you a proper sense for just how unsettled, how tenuous this house of cards really was. It was so tenuous that by the time a Russian hacker with a colorful personality posted 200 million Yahoo accounts for sale on the dark web, they were in the company of plenty of other hackers who'd already breached Yahoo in some form or another. And 200 million accounts was only an indent in a much deeper, much worse problem. Listen to what Peace said elsewhere in their Wired interview. It seems like much of the data you're selling is old. How did it happen that you came to possess this old data and are only selling it now? Well, these breaches were shared between the team and used for our own purposes. Why didn't the crew want to sell the whole collection earlier? 
it is not of value if data is made public. We had our own use of it, and other buyers did as well. In addition, buyers expect this type of data to remain private for as long as possible. There are many databases not made public for that reason, and in use for many years to come. What do we learn from these quotes? That by the time hundreds of millions of online accounts make it onto the real deal, they've already been in hackers' hands for years, and that those hackers used those accounts for their quote, own purposes. In our next episode of Malicious Life, the consequences of Yahoo's breaches will go far, far beyond email spamming or even black market trading. And 200 million accounts will seem tiny. It's fun fucking around with these people. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Not a lot of housekeeping notes today, so I'll just remind you that our website is malicious.life, and in it you'll find all past episodes of our podcast, as well as full transcripts. You can reach out to us with questions and suggestions for future episodes on Twitter at, at @ranlevi, that's R-A-N-L-E-V-I, or at maliciouslife, and my email is ran, R-A-N, at ranlevy.com. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Nate Nelson is our senior producer. Our expertise in podcasting is tackling complex and challenging materials. We produce podcasts about software design, industrial cybersecurity, education, and even medical topics. If your organization is thinking about launching a podcast, reach out to us at ran at ranlevy.com. A big thank you to CyberReason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye. CK Music. Music. Music.